Dove Tuzman and you're back on equal footing back in studio. It's been over a month traveling in Europe and Latin America. It's so nice to be back and able to experience New York again. Beautiful late October weather. Tonight's subject isn't as beautiful as often we try to delve in to the darkness. In Judaism, we always talk about the dualism of the darkness and the light and in order to really appreciate the light and understand the blessings we have to be willing to and able to address the difficult things. We're going to talk about anxiety tonight. We called tonight's program in our social media blast, The Silent Epidemic. The numbers are startling. Let me convey some of these to you now. Researchers believe, and this is from the National Institutes of Health and various other academic sources, that at least a third and likely closer to a half of all Americans will experience an anxiety disorder at some point in their lives. And you're going to hear from our guests tonight, and I'll introduce them in a moment, that an anxiety disorder means that you've crossed the threshold into something uh, an area of of mental health that means it's causing serious deleterious consequences in your in your life. We all feel anxiety and dysregulated anxiety can actually be something that's very impeding to our family life or professional life, but an anxiety disorder which we'll get into is at another level. So half of Americans, probably a similar number across at least the developed world will experience an anxiety disorder. In their lifetime, the National Institute of Mental Health estimates that over 50%, closer to 55% of those that do experience an anxiety disorder will have high to very high degrees of anxiety disorder. That means that about a quarter of the U.S. population at some time in their life will experience anxiety disorders that have debilitating consequences in their personal relationship and professional lives. Let's talk for a moment about what some of the symptoms of anxiety and at an extreme form, anxiety disorders, just to get these out there. You're listening and wondering, do I have that? Have I experienced that? Of course, we all experience anxiety every day in this high pressure world. It's not just about feeling nervous or restless or tense. It's often about having a sense of impending danger, panic or doom, an increased heart rate, breathing rapidly like hyperventilation, sweating, trembling feeling weak or tired as a result of high levels of anxiety, trouble concentrating or thinking about anything other than the present worry, having trouble sleeping, gastrointestinal problems often accompany high levels of anxiety, and ultimately dysregulation, having difficulty controlling worry and anxiety, and having the urge to avoid things that trigger any form of anxiety. So those are some of the some of the symptoms. It's the prevalence is Pretty extraordinary, as we as we just mentioned, much more than I would have thought before I got into some of the pregame research that our wonderful producer Leah has done. It's Harvard Medical Medical School, uh, as well as University of Utah, in recent studies uh, called the prevalence of anxiety disorders in modern society the single greatest challenge in mental health today. It's 
it affects uh, productivity in the workplace, like I said, relationships, and often um, can result in, in much higher levels of uh, suicide rates and, and other forms of, of life dysfunction. So anxiety, the silent epidemic. We're going to get at this issue from, as we, as we always try to do in this program, from a Jewish perspective. And I think you'll be surprised to know that there's, while well, there's great intersection with therapeutic modalities and psychotherapy, there's also, there are some differences and I think some important and beautiful ones. Okay. So let's get to our guests. Let's start with Sarah Esther Crisp. Sarah Esther travels internationally. She's a sought-out motivational speaker presenting on interpersonal relationships and the Kabbalistic approach to self-development. She is a speaker for My Gift of Mikvah. Sarah Esther is also the co-director of interinclusion.org, a multi-layered educational non-profit, non-for-profit celebrating the convergence between contemporary arts and sciences and timeless Jewish wisdom. Sarah Esther is the creator and editor of the Jewishwoman.org within the Chabad.org umbrella. You gotta check it out. Where she has over 200 published articles, the Jewishwoman.org. She's worked as a consultant for shows related to Judaism on the Oprah Winfrey Network, Harpo Productions, Refinery29, and CNN. A segment she helped produce for Oprah Winfrey's Belief Series was actually presented at the United Nations. Sarah Esther is currently working on three books, one on marriage, one on the power of Jewish women, and one on parenting, titled, I Used to Be the Perfect Mother, Then I Had Kids. <laughs> I love that. Sarah Esther lives with her family in rural Vermont, Danby, Vermont, where they run Jewish educational retreats and programming. Sarah Esther, I may hit you up there in, in, uh, in rural Vermont. Uh, nice to have you on the show for the first time. Thanks for joining. Thank you so much, and we would love to have you here. Going to introduce, I think, your friend or colleague. You guys already know each other, which is, makes this easier. Devorah mm-hmm. Divi Kamen. And Divi, I hope I'm pronouncing your last name correctly because I didn't get to ask you ahead of the program. Perfect. Okay. So Divi is, I'm going to call you, uh, is a psychiatric nurse practitioner, psychotherapist. She's an alumnus of Yale, our arch enemy, I'm a Harvard alum. Focuses on treating eating disorders and trauma-related health conditions with innovative and in- integrative modalities. Divi has led psychiatric and therapeutic programming for a number of high-acuity mental health program- programs in Connecticut. Divi is now consulting and providing treatment for eating disorders at Newport Academy, a family-based residential program that offers kosher meals, while also running a private and in- integrative mental health practice. Divi works with and this is a topic we've talked about before in the show. And we've got to do another one soon. I'm actually going to be at the Wonderland Conference next week in Miami around psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy. Divi works in this area combining ketamine and IFS, which stands for Internal Family Systems Therapy, with lifestyle and nutritional support. Psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy is an extraordinary area of inquiry. I know a lot of our listeners have expressed interest in it before. Divi's passionate about a recovery and prevention-based approach to comprehensive mind-body health. She lives with her husband, Rabbi Bogart, and four children in the Jewish community in New Haven, Connecticut. Divi, welcome to Equal Footing for the first time also. Thank you for having me. Guys, anxiety gets a lot of attention that it's, that is often stylized. And Sarah Esther, maybe you could start by helping us distinguish between normal, even healthy anxiety, the, you know, the parasympathetic nervous system exists for a reason, uh, 
and dysregulated anxiety and anxiety disorders. Kind of help us understand the spectrum. Sure. So I will I will attempt to do that. Uh, Debbie, definitely fill in if I'm uh, not completely covering all the bases. But I think really where the distinction is is where anxiety ends up being something that takes over your life. It is affecting every aspect of it. It is something that is impeding your ability to have healthy relationships, to go about your normal day. It's, you know, affecting your work and every aspect of your life. And that is very different than when we refer to anxiety and have it almost synonymous with stress. We all have stress in our life. We all have worry in our lives. And very often we can attribute that stress or that worry to something specific. Mm -hmm. I'm you know, anxious about paying my bills or about, you know, meeting these deadlines or sometimes even there's a lot of anxiety regarding great things. The wedding's in two weeks. There's so much to do, you know, but there's something very specific that is connected to those feelings versus when anxiety disorder kicks in, it's not something that the person can always find any direct connection to. It's just, as you mentioned, that impending doom and overwhelming feelings that just overtake and become constant in all thought and all function. Yeah, so help us understand, therapy, I guess, diagnostically, Divi, where that sense of, of overwhelm uh, where, as, as Sarah Esther described, it kind of crosses over. How do you know when you're in, you know, without the benefit of actually being with you as a psychiatric nurse practitioner or a psychiatrist, how can you kind of self-diagnose enough to know you need help from a therapist that you've kind of crossed over? Are there, are there, are there signals that you are in beyond dysregulated anxiety and in anxiety disorder territory? Sure. So it's interesting because mental health in general, most mental health conditions, if you plot them on a graph by population, there's sort of a bell curve. So as they show up in the population, people on the extreme end, right, meet criteria, but it exists across the population, different degrees of severity. So the key question is really how is it impacting your quality of life and how are you functioning in your day-to-day life? So some really concrete examples include, is this disrupting basic uh, ways in which you might function? A common one with anxiety is sleep. So if someone is having difficulty sleeping, that's a really identifiable red flag. Uh, another way of looking at this is anxiety can be a really healthy and safe response to a threat, right? So when we're looking at dysfunction, we're looking at, Rather than it being an appropriate response to a threat, it's a reaction that is out of proportion to the stimulus. So if you see a pattern in your life where the anxiety response is not matching up, like Sarah Esther mentioned, with what's actually happening in the world outside of yourself, that's a signal that something is going on internally that's awry, that needs alignment. And I just want to add here that the funny thing about anxiety is when we call it anxiety, sometimes our anxiety spikes. Right. So it can be it can be calming to understand that anxiety can serve as a very healthy response 
and that it can also be life-saving to pick up when it's gone beyond that. Yeah, it's uh, the the adage that you know you're only paranoid if they aren't following you, and I think it's it, it's important to note for the, I'm sure a lot of a lot of listeners can think of experiences even today in their in their home lives or professional lives where some level of anxiety is appropriate and self and protective. You know, you want to be anxious about wondering if you've got a protective barrier on those stairs if you've got a toddler walking around on the second floor. You know, you want to be make you have a a degree of anxiety that helps you be aware of the deadline that you have to meet at the office. And they're they're, they're the appropriate uh, responses and that's part of our regulated uh, parasympathetic system. That being said, it seems to me, and I guess I put this on the table for, for both of you to respond to, it's, it seems based on the data doing in our pregame research for the show that there has been a marked, measurable, and indisputable spike in dysregulated anxiety and anxiety disorders, particularly over the last 20 years in the developed world and the most research being in the United States. Um, there are, there, uh, there's a lot of correlation that's been discussed around the, the COVID pandemic, but this has been a trend going on um, for decades now. What what's happening in in modern society that is causing anxiety to become to to become pathological or to become dysregulated and self harmful? Can I actually just go back for a moment to something you were saying? Shoot. So. In terms of it being healthy, there's actually, and I'm so glad to be brought this up, because one of the key things that we find with how it impacts a person, if it's motivational, if it's positive, if it's encouraging them to accomplish versus detrimental is very often how it's viewed. And even the fact that the word anxiety can trigger anxiety, you know, and carries with it this very heavy negative connotation is already a really important thing. You had mentioned even in the beginning about darkness and light. And um, Judaism doesn't view darkness as negative. You know, it, it views it as hidden. And there, that's a key difference. You know, so I think, and I'm, it obviously once it's gone to the point where it is very negatively impacting somebody's life, it's beyond this. But there is um, a great work actually called The Upside of Stress and why stress is good for you, and how to get good at it by Kelly McGonigal. But it speaks about the way we view stress and anxiety actually impacts how it affects us. If we think it's bad, it's going to have a negative impact on us. If we think it's healthy and good, it's going to have a positive impact on us. So that's already like just the key thing to kind of have in mind that I think leads into your next question that we're constantly hearing stress kills. You know, half the half the world, half society is suffering from anxiety disorder. That's really overwhelming. That's right. already creating a very scary reality that now when I'm getting anxious, oh no, what does this mean? <laughs> you know, am I am I gonna fall apart? Is this gonna be something really disruptive to my life? Right, it's a vicious circle because you're you're thinking about it and then you're getting feedback. Uh, you, you're getting public, you know, um, there's the zeit, the feedback in the zeitgeist that this is a huge problem and then that builds on itself. You're right. Uh, we're gonna, let's put a pin on that. I want to get to the, the duality concept that you're, that you're talking about around darkness and light that we're gonna open the program with. I do want to get to also the, the numbers and the facts a little bit because the, the, the National Institute of Mental Health 
has, has, has issued a very similar study now for over 30 years. And if you go back 20 years ago, the estimate was less than 20% of, uh, Americans would at some point in their life, uh, feel, you know, experience a debilitating anxiety disorder. That means a, a high, a moderate to high degree, uh, symptom anxiety disorder. The, the most recent estimates are closer to 50%. There has been a change. Is that a change in diagnostics? Is it a change in awareness? Or are there outside factors that are affecting that? And if there are outside factors, are those outside factors affecting the Jewish community? Again, all listeners welcome in this program, but we do look at things through a Jewish Jewish prism. Are, are we on the, the, the worst end of that spectrum? Or are we somehow protected? Protected either in terms of community relationships, uh, family systems, theology, what have you. We're going to take our first break. We'll get into those two different media areas after. I'm here with Sarah Esther Crisp and Devorah Divi Kamen. We're talking about the silent epidemic anxiety in modern society. We'll be right back. Help, I need somebody. Help, not just anybody. Help, you know I need someone. It's a great, great song pick there. Equal footing is about getting into those difficult subjects that we need to talk about in order to heal, in order to move forward in our lives. Manhattan Medical does the same thing. Manhattan Medical addresses one of the most emotionally painful and difficult subjects you can deal with as a couple, and that's erectile dysfunction. It's not anything to be embarrassed or ashamed about. It affects as many as two-thirds of men in their lifetimes. And there are options for those that can't take those expensive blue pills because of side effects or comorbidities. Manhattan Medical employs the Gaines Wave Therapy Program for Erectile Dysfunction. Listen, Gaines Wave has been around for many years in Europe and Canada. It's proven it's effective and it is now FDA approved. It helps the vast majority of patients achieve excellent and enduring remedy for erectile dysfunction. It's non-invasive. It's surgery free. It's painless. Contact Manhattan Medical about their ED therapy. You don't have to be in Manhattan. You don't have to be in New York. You can be anywhere in the United States and you can do a teleconsult. Teleconsult. Manhattan Medical's number is 888-EDQR9. That's 888-EDQR9 in numbers 888-332-8739. If you contact Manhattan Medical for their gains wave therapy for erectile dysfunction and you tell them you heard about it on the Equal Footing radio program, you get a free initial consult. They don't usually do that. It's a $250 value. So call, mention Equal Footing, get a free consult, address this issue. No shame in it. Erectile dysfunction can be addressed and permanently remedied. The number, once again, 888-332-8739. That's 888-ED-CURE-9. I've been caught. On equal footing, and we're talking to Devorah Divi Kamen, psychiatric nurse practitioner and psychotherapist, Sarah Esther Crisp, a noted author and speaker. We're talking about anxiety. I had a listener just wrote in. It sounds like uh, my voice sounds different tonight. Yes, I'm getting over a little bit of a cold. Uh, it's not my sexy voice. It's I'm a little congested here. I apologize. So before we were going to break, 
I was trying to get into the numbers a little bit, and I'm happy for either of you to challenge the veracity. It seemed to us in the pregame research, and yes, Sarah, Esther, I want to get into the into the Torah guidance. That's the core of our program. But just to set the stage, maybe Divi, you could help us out here a little bit from a therapeutic perspective. That it seems like there's overwhelming statistical evidence that there's been an increase, particularly over the last twenty years, at least in the United States, in anxiety disorders. Is this a measurement issue? Is there is there's causa- is there causality in modern society? Uh, if the answer is is yes to either of those, is it the same in the Jewish community as in the broader community? Sure, I'll speak to this. I, this is a question that comes up a lot. Is it about we're paying attention to it and people are coming in for treatment, or is it actually more prevalent and probably both? Uh, right. Um, modernity is notoriously perhaps not compatible as with the human spirit as much as we'd like. Uh, le- readers may have read the book Lost Connections, but it really explores the uh, disconnection from community-based uh, ways of living, from the natural world, from nutrient-dense foods, and how as much as we have, we are living lives of luxury and our safety is accounted for and our basic needs are accounted for as basic needs have increasingly been met. Spiritual, psychological, emotional needs have been met less and less. So this relates to so many factors in modern culture. But speaking as a Jewish person on a show where we are highlighting Jewish themes, I just can't help but think of the weekend and Shabbos and Sabbath where our tradition invites us to unplug and reconnect with family members, with good food, without the cell phone and how maybe this is going to save our people um, in a world where we are increasingly plugged in and flooded with information and flooded with plastic pseudo electric electronic relationships instead of real relationships. You've mentioned the sympathetic nervous system, right? And essentially anxiety is a physiological state of sympathetic arousal, fight, flight, freeze. So in order to bring balance into a system, a human system, one that is physiologic, physiologically based, uh, we need those physical tools that allow us to recalibrate. So physical contact with others, social contact with others, uh, the building blocks of a healthy body, which is nutrient-dense foods. Uh, if we were to track the trends of nutrient density and the foods that we have available, those have decreased over similar time periods. So that's worth looking at. And if I come back to Sarah Esther's point about the way we think about anxiety, we are living in a culture that uh, conditions us to look for the external fix. Uh, and we see this every day, um, people coming to our doors for help, and they're really looking for the pill or the modality that is going to fix them. And in IFS, internal family systems, uh, one of the uh, terms are inviting us to take a U-turn. And we're looking outside of ourselves for the solution, but what if we took a U-turn and looked at you, at yourself? What is the underlying conflict and what are the internal resources we have to draw on? So just invoking how can we build ourselves up to rely less on consumerism 
and objects, medications, modalities we're going to purchase and more on how are we actually going to look within at what our system needs and teach our children to do the same. You know, you, one of the things you mentioned there, Divi, was the the centrality of, of the observe, the observance of Shabbos in our in our lives as 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 observant Jews, and I think that there's an interesting discussion to be had around Jewish theology, particularly as it relates to anxiety. We've already gotten a couple of notes from listeners, and in our research ahead of the show as well, not that we're pretending to have a, 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 a this is not the halacha of anxiety tonight, but uh, I think that there are some points that are worth making. And one of them, which a listener uh, has has brought to the fore here, is that there seems to be a very simple approach to anxiety in, in, in Jewish theology, that, theology, the kind of chocolate ben sign good approach, the think good, it will be good, the 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 famous uh, uh, Rabbi Nachman of Breslov idea that um, there's a Rabbi Akiva as well that everything that God does is in, is is for the good the um, the the Breslavian idea um, as well that's 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 very similar that the whole world is a very narrow bridge and the key is to never fear at all there's this very simple approach of it's all good and any and and any the, the there is no darkness uh, anything that feels like it's anxiety inducing it's pressure. It's something that's uh, going to ruin our lives. It's something that's going to ruin our, uh, uh, God forbid, uh, our, our children's lives. Uh, it's it's all part of a master divine plan, and that there's there are concealed blessings within. It's an extremely appealing theology. Uh, Sarah Esther, do you buy into that being the core Jewish response to to anxiety? My, I imagine oversimplifying. I think where that becomes problematic is. First of all, that is completely oversimplified, and that we always have these dichotomies. You know, it's something can simultaneously be true that there is a reason for absolutely everything, and yet that does not negate that it is going to be hard for us. It is going to be challenging for us. We are going to go through painful and difficult periods, and we see that constantly. You know, we mourn when we lose someone. Why are we mourning if it's all good? You know, it's it's all exactly as it was supposed to happen because our reality is still, even though, yes, we simultaneously believe and we say blessed is the true judge, we also mourn. So, so that duality is there, and that's very healthy to have, and yet knowing that there is something to be gained, something to be learned, something that is going to you know, give us resilience or strength. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but it's still embedded within that challenge. One of the, you know, key ideas even is that the word itself for a challenge or a test, nisayon, at its root is nace, which is miracle, this Mm. miraculous possibility and opportunity embedded in the challenge and the test itself. It's not always revealed, you know, it's not always so clear to us but knowing that everything, knowing everything has a purpose is different than a simplistic, you know, it's all good. Right. Because that, that negates our reality, which can be, this is really, really hard for me. We're going to need to take our next break, but we've, we've gotten into that in the program before this very subtle difference between 
there is a purpose that there are concealed blessings. There are learning opportunities, even in the most difficult of moments versus a kind of blase or blanket and everything happens for a reason. It's all good. And it's a, such a difficult balancing act uh, for in our lives and, and with respect to our mental health, I should have given out the number to participate in this dialogue. You can, Call in and talk to us about your perceptions and perhaps battles with anxiety. You can call 718-303-9090. That's 718-303-9090. It's a difficult topic. You don't have to say your name. You can speak anonymously. If you like, you can also, if you feel more comfortable, often listeners do, to text in or WhatsApp in or iMessage in a question or a comment on this topic to our wonderful guests, Divi Kamen and Sarah Esther Crisp. You can do that on 917-428-4062. Don't call that number. That's for texting or WhatsApping or iMessaging in a comment or question, 917-428-4062. We'll be right back. Equal Footing with Dove Tuzman is sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skincare. With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, the dermatologists and skincare surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. So schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient New York area locations. To make an appointment, go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. You can even schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists from the comfort and safety of your own home. So go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-3376. And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. I've been calling. Hey, I'm Dove Tasman. You're back on Equal Footing. Keeping on. That's what we need to do. Battles with anxiety are a part of modern day living. As Divi said, our guest Divi came in is on the line with Sarah Esther Crisp. Divi, you said in the last segment that, like, I'm paraphrasing here, but modern society doesn't exactly conduce to being tranquil. And I do want to point out that from each of the um, different, I don't like the word denominations, but from the different schools of, of, of Jewish life that exist in, at least in, in America today, from traditional, uh, from Orthodox, uh, from that world, from, from Chabad, from even from the conservative movement, from reform, reconstructionists, et cetera. One of the, if you, there's a prevailing, I'm going to give the source for this, by the way, because she's been a guest in the program before. She's, it's a wonderful, uh, resource. It's called Ask the Rabbis and the, what is the link here? Uh, it's in momentmag.com, momentmagazine.com. And Amy Schwartz is the editor of this. And what, th- there was a question recently that was asked on this, you know, does Jewish anxiety have a theological basis? What's the Jewish approach to anxiety? And I was fascinated to see across all of these different, um, kind of denominational schools, there's a common thread. Here's a punchline. It relates to what you said, Divi, before, of the fact that in modern society we have a particular challenge as Jews with tikkun olam, with kind of repairing 
the world that feel that things feel disconnected. You referred to that as well. And that therefore the, the dualism that's at the heart of Jewish theology, this idea that, that light and darkness are one. And I'll get to that, Sarah Esther. You've written very beautifully on this, on this topic that there's a dualism, but that also the dualism is to some extent an illusion becomes so, so accentuated in modern day life with so much conflict at so many levels, or perhaps we're just aware of it more with social media and instantaneous news. It's like we're bombarded with reasons to be anxious at the, at the, at the molecular unit of the family, at the national unit of the country we live in, in the international sphere, of course, with, uh, with war and conflict and, and, uh, and xenophobia and racism and, and, and poverty and famine and so forth. It's like it's, we're being constantly bombarded in a way that in previous generations wasn't quite the same. So, Sarah Esther, let's talk about that a little bit more from your particular, the reason why we wanted to get you on the show is your beautiful article that you wrote in Chabad.org about kind of a Torah approach to anxiety and anxiety relief. And I want you to help us really get into this issue of um, understanding that uh, around what you, what you were talking about around darkness and, and light, and particularly this, this, the fifth verse of the Torah, God called the light day. But then the day consists of both light and darkness. It's the same word that we are just, just for light. So when we're experiencing anxiety, are we in darkness? Do we need to be afraid? Do we need to go out and get help? Are we, is something wrong with us? Are we just, is this an integral part of our, of our Jewish journey? So the piece that you're referring to, um, is actually based off of a tremendous work called Transforming Darkness into Light. Kabbalah and Psychology by Rabbi Yitzhak Ginsburg. And the, uh, just to clarify, it's not that darkness and light are the same. It's that a day, we say, it was evening, and it was day, it was light, and it was one day, meaning that inherent part of any day is going to have a period that is dark and a period that is light. They're not the same, but they both have purpose and value. It's not a situation where we can escape the darkness, so we need to utilize the darkness. So, And the darkness, again, is not necessarily or inherently negative or bad. It is hidden. So we know that children grow the most at night when they're sleeping. And actually, Divi brought up one of the ways of even establishing anxiety as a problem is when we can't sleep, when we can't use the night and the darkness for what it is intended for and its positive aspects, that's when it gets all mixed up and confusing. Mm-hmm. So if we're awake when we should be asleep, if we're anxious in anybody the night, like, you know, pardon the interruption, anybody the like me who's, who's struggled with insomnia knows what you're talking about. It's, it's, it's debilitating. Right, exactly, and and they lead one into the next. If you're lacking sleep, you know, lack of sleep is a torture technique. Mm. You're going to be stressed out, and if you're stressed out and anxious, you're not going to sleep. So it's, again, that horrible catch-22, but that's why Arab evening darkness is from Erbuvio, which is this idea of like chaos and confusion, whereas Boker day is clarification, it's Bikoris. And yet, beautifully enough, in Judaism, everything starts at night. A new day begins in the darkness. Yeah, and of you know, course, when we talk the, about it, it the, said, 
the the moment of greatest darkness is right before the dawn. So it's like the the need to understand that even in the 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 time when it seems most hopeless, uh, there's it's often right before there's a breakthrough. That's certainly exactly. been the case in in my life. I, I I'd like it. I want Divya. I'm going to get back to you in a moment. I apologize, but Sarah Esther, I'd like to dive in a little bit more because you talked in in that article. Um, the a Torah approach to anxiety relief. You also referred to um, a verse from Proverbs uh, that anxiety in the heart of a person causes dejection, but a good word will turn it into joy. And you're, and it's one of the few places in 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 our texts. Uh, I'm not talking about uh, Gemara and, and and more, but I'm talking not about oral Torah, but in in the core texts where anxiety is specifically referenced and you break it down in the Hebrew and you specifically talk about the word dejection, uh, yashchena, and help us understand the, the different meanings and how that leads you to, I would say like a, a Torah approach, or you said it in the article, a Torah approach to anxiety relief. So the click of that actually, and yes, it's a verse in Proverbs. And so first of all, we see that for sure, Torah literature and Judaism knows about worry and stress and anxiety, and that's very real, and that we are going to go through it. But it's actually the Talmud, then, that breaks that down. And the Talmud gives three ways of understanding that term. So it is in the Gemara that explains this verse in Proverbs. Okay. And so the verse is, you know, if there is this worry, da'aga, and very quickly, just even the word da'aga, worry, um, has four of the first five letters in the Hebrew alphabet. It's missing the second letter the bait, which is numerically equivalent to two. So already that idea, that feeling alone, not being able to connect or speak to another is going to create worry. Um, but then it continues that when there's this worry in the heart of a person, it will cause dejection or sadness, but a good word will turn it into joy. And then the Talmud says that should be understood three different ways. We read it the first way is yashchena, which is basically suppressed not repress, but suppress, cut it down to size, you know, recognize very often that the things that we're anxious and stressed out about are actually not life or death themselves. Um, the put irony it into, put that it into it, context. Yeah, yeah, that leads to death, and yet in and of itself, it's not deadly. So, you know, cut it down to size, put it into context. The next one is yachrena, which is separate, ignore it. And again, this is temporary, that idea of stop thinking about yourself and focus on others. That when we put our energy and focus on things outside of what is overwhelming us, it helps redirect us. And the third is yesichena, which is articulated, speak about it. And actually, da'aga, the word for worry, if you turn the letters around, is agada, which is to speak. So that idea, you know, and it's actually where on uh, Talk to a therapist, talk, talk, reach right. out, get help, speak about your issue because good word will turn it into joy. Getting another perspective, getting somebody who can help you stay balanced and mm. think about things in a different way. So from a Torah perspective, I'm putting this in my own words, but is it, would it be fair to say Sarah Esther is like the put it into context, the, the, what's causing the anxiety? Put it aside. That's kind of the ignored, ignored part when you need to. Uh, kind of, uh, I'm, I'm, this may not be what a therapist would want to hear, but does that make sense? Compartmentalize, be able to put it aside or ignore it, and talk about it. Are those are there? Are there's, there's a Torah grounding for those three approaches. 
Yeah, that's exactly how the Talmud explains it. I mean, we're doing the standing on one toenail. Um, and again, <laughs> in terms of a therapist disagreeing, we're not talking permanently. We're talking temporarily when it's overwhelming right, you, right. how to go through an approach where you're thinking about something else, doing something else, you know, trying to separate from it. Right. And, you know, I'm, I've been open on the program before. I see a therapist. I see a psychiatrist once a month. I see a therapist every week. And it's been, it's something that I started to do after I went through some very significant life trauma, uh, seven, seven or eight years ago now, seven years ago. Talked about that on the program before. No shame in that. I could have, you know, kind of stopped it some time ago. Probably, you know, at times felt like I don't need this anymore, but it's been a wonderful, um, forum to express and to learn, to improve. And some weeks there are breakthroughs that I never would have expected. So there is, I just want to say that on the air, uh, whether you feel like you're listening to this program, you're like, I have a problem. I need help. Then yes, see a therapist. But even if you're like, I don't know if I do, but this is something that's interfering with my work. This is something that's interfering with my relationship. When you went through those symptoms, Dove, I, some of them I feel like I, 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 I experienced in my life. It's fine also to see a therapist about, it. you know, you, you may get into some other topic. You may not quote unquote need that, that help, that therapeutic help, but it's not going to hurt. So uh, reach out. There's no shame in talking about things. And you just heard from Sarah Esther that there's guidance in our tradition on that. Now, Divi, let's go to the therapeutic modalities that exist. We've had at least two listeners um, ask, when do I need to see a doctor? That's a literal question here. So the there are, beyond what we just heard in terms of, like I guess, healthy coping mechanisms would be one way to put it from a Torah guidance perspective. Um, when When do you need to get help specifically? You addressed that earlier in the program. And what kinds of help or therapeutic modalities are out there? Sure. I was excited to continue talking about the Jewish guidance because it's so rich. Um, but the question of when we need help is so important. And, of course, there's no blanket statement in the sense that every person is so unique. I would encourage anyone who has this question on their minds to explore it because the question is probably there for a reason. And coming back to the guidance on talking to another person, second opinion is always really useful, getting objective input from those who care for you but are removed enough from your life to have some objectivity. It doesn't even have to be a psychiatrist or a mental health professional. It can be somebody who you trust in your life who can review the scenario with you. Uh, but also to remember that getting an assessment is not necessarily a commitment to treatment. It can be an opening into having a dialogue with an informed human being. And if you walk out of that assessment wanting treatment, that's one route. And if you walk out of assessment knowing a little bit more about yourself, there's also something to gain potentially. As far as modalities, I'm going to come back to the Jewish wisdom a little bit because one of the therapeutic modalities that is most well-known is cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm -hmm. And cognitive behavioral therapy relates directly to this idea that that the mind Rules the heart, and I want to speak to this a little bit because I feel like it's misunderstood in the sense that we are supposed to think our way out of our anxiety, which is, I don't believe, to be the intention of CBT nor uh, 
and Jewish wisdom, but rather that our innate capacity to hold perspective and to pay attention is something we can cultivate mastery over. So if we think about anxiety, the state of anxiety is there's a tunnel vision component to it where our attention is narrowed on this threat, real or perceived. And the beautiful thing about the mind is you, you can't actually pay attention to two things at once. So if you are able to master the steering wheel of the mind, so to speak, and navigate your attention towards something else, things can shift. Your physiological state can shift. Emotions can shift. So the idea of uh, using our cognition is not necessarily battling with our thoughts, we're just trying to switch a negative thought with a positive thought, but more so working with our capacity to navigate our own attention and uh, noticing when our attention is fixated on something that leaves us feeling unwell and being able to explore what would happen if I really paid attention to my five senses. Uh, to this person in front of me whom I love, to this idea, and it comes back, the, the Peskam you mentioned, the Aga Balevish Yasihana, that it's Dalit Aleph Gimel Hay and it's missing the base. I used to be told that was missing the base for Bitachon, which is faith. So uh, the idea is not over simplistically that it's all good, but paying attention to the compass of trust, of faith. And that can be in a higher power. It can also be in our own selves because aligned with Jewish wisdom is this idea that the true self is divine. So when we are experiencing fear, it's very real, but it's coming from a part of ourselves. And so we don't have to banish that part of ourselves, Mm -hmm. but we can relate to that part of ourselves and allow it to connect with the true self. And the true self is by nature courageous compassionate, mm. faithful. So we can lose access to it, but yeah. it's always there. And we always and have very- to be vigilant uh, about mm-hmm. being connected. It reminds me when you're talking about the fact that we really can't concentrate or pay sufficient attention to two things at once, something from your article, Sarah Esther, uh, on kind of a Torah approach to anxiety relief, we talked about that as well. And from learning from the story of Joseph, that they were, we were told that he was in an empty pit and there was no water in it. Why are we told that there was no water in it if we already knew it was empty? And the explanation being that the, the pit may have been empty of water, but it was full of other things like poisonous snakes and scorpions. And the idea that, that the pit is a symbol of our minds and we, if we, we, we have to fill it with something. It can't just be empty. Like there's no vacuum in, in nature or in Torah. And so we have to fill it with positive things or in the way you were saying to be like, you know, kind of be attentive to our higher selves. Uh, so it, we're not flooded by the negative, which is like always, always there um, to always available to us, unfortunately, and more so with all the inputs in, in, in modern life. I really appreciate you guys both tying the, the therapeutic modalities to kind of practical side to, to Jewish wisdom. Um, it's been, it's been instructive, uh, for, for me and I hope for listeners as well. We have some really good questions, some of them a little bit painful 
um, to read. I want to get to a couple of these after the break. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to be back with Sarah Esther Crisp and Divi Kamen talking about this silent epidemic of anxiety, dysregulated anxiety, anxiety disorders, and our approach to remedies. We'll be right back. And all the ones that love me, they just left me on the shelf. Farewell So before I say someone else I've got to save myself We're talking about mental health tonight on Equal Footing and DocuVax has been a great sponsor for this program for some time now focused on mental and physical health and your medical files in general. You should have control over your medical records, your mental health records, vaccine records, blood tests, uh, anything else that you're doing in your life to protect, preserve, and to remedy your health. Check out DocuVax. It helps you store all that information, access it. You get doctors and nurses on call for you 24 hours a day. Here's how it works. First of all, let me give you the deets. You can get DocuVax on your iPhone or Android device in the App Store. That's D-O-C-U-V-A-X. You can also go to DocuVax.com. And if you'd like to call for group discounts on the DocuVax service, I'll give you that number now. It's 833-859-1933. So with DocuVax, you cover over 60 important elements of your medical profile, from tests and panels to vaccine records, uh, preventative screenings like colorectal and breast cancer screenings, blood type, allergy information. You just download that information, whatever format you get, you have it, pictures, uh, PDFs, you can email it in, and then you get it all filed and organized by DocuVax, doctors and nurses on staff for you 24 hours a day, 365 days a year to validate or explain any of those records. And here's the most important and money-saving part give you references to specialists when you need them without having to unnecessarily pay for that general practitioner visit. When you use DocuVax, your medical records are in a HIPAA-compliant digital storage facility. They're never accessible to anybody but you as an individual subscriber. But you can share specific records with an insurance company or a school or your business or whatever using a proprietary QR code-based system that keeps your data secure at all times. And you also get reminders on when you need to get a particular vaccine, a blood test, or an important preventative screening. So put an end to worrying if you or someone you care about is up to date on some needed medical screen. Take control of your medical file and your family's medical file. Sign up at DocuVax.com or download the DocuVax app on your smartphone or call 833 855-1933, and I'm going to end with the cost. You might think, because even a general practitioner visit could be $100 easily just for a visit, even if a copay often will be $50 or whatever it might be. DocuVax is that in a whole year. For about $5 a month, you can privately access all of your medical records and get those uh, references to specialists and so forth and get reminders on screenings when you need them. So check it out, DocuVax on your smartphone or docuvax.com. I've been caught keeping on, keeping on 
We're back on Equal Footing. I'm Dove Tuzman. We're talking about anxiety and its sometimes debilitating effects in our lives and methods of relief. Okay, you guys ready for a couple of rapid-fire questions here uh, from listeners? So uh, we'll start with, I think, an easy one. I'll put this to you, Divi. Uh, listener wants to understand if they've got OCD, they've been diagnosed with, AC, with OCD. Uh, first of all, is this an anxiety disorder? Uh, and how should they be treating it using psychedelics? Is there treatment of psychedelics? I don't know. I haven't heard about that with OCD. I've heard about that with PTSD. Sure. So OCD is considered a kind of anxiety disorder. Um, and whereas generalized anxiety disorder may include perpetual worry or feelings of being on edge, OCD is quite specifically an obsessional thought pattern that is relieved by a compulsive behavior, a compulsive thought. I have worked with quite a number of people with OCD, with ketamine-assisted therapy, and sometimes it has been very effective. OCD can be hard to treat, so I would say I've had mixed experiences with mm. ketamine specifically. Um, but if we just take a second to talk about psychedelic-assisted therapy, you're really getting beneath the symptom some sort of core misalignment. And if you can do that, an OCD through psychedelic-assisted therapy can be very powerful. Okay, yeah. I'd love to have you on the program again talking about, about ketamine and and psychedelic-assisted psychotherapies. We've gotten into that in the past a little bit. All right, this next one's pretty uh, painful to read. Uh, this is from Anna. Uh, my eldest teenage son, who is now 17, recently tried to commit suicide. This is his fourth attempt. I feel like he has been misdiagnosed many times along the way. There's. She goes on to give more detail, but the I think the operative... Uh, question is, the therapies don't seem to work. Neither does the rabbinical guidance. Where do I go? Where does he go? That is a really painful question. I just want to appreciate your courage in putting it out there and also say that Sometimes it feels like goodness of fit in therapy is like a shidduch, like finding your soulmate. It can be so challenging. So to remember that there are so many modalities out there and every therapy is really as good as this practitioner who's implementing it. Um, but when I hear a timeline like that, I think of extreme psychic pain. Mm. I also think about different versions of complex trauma, whether that's what is at the core or complex trauma and being through the mental health system and attending to that. Um, and perhaps that can open up also new avenues of uh, treatment. I'm, I'm going to channel this. This is a really, this is hard for, for, for me to read. Um, but when she's saying it, this really feels like a cry for help. Where, where does he go? Uh, do, do, if do you just go to the next therapist? Do you go to the next rabbi? Is there alternative to to either? Uh, is it a community based thing? I mean, I'm sure this is one of um, many parents that are that are listening to this either live or in podcast format, facing a, a similar challenge. Can can either of you um, throw an additional lifeline? Uh, I'm not endorsing I mean, I, any specific. Oh, sorry, treatment, but I do want to say that I. 
worked with ketamine and is specifically known for reducing suicidal thoughts pretty rapidly. So I just want to offer that might not be the right tool. It may be, but there is there there has to be a way. And uh, I'm going to pass it over to Sarah Esther, but just to say connecting with someone, not just who's a mental health professional or a rabbi, but somebody who's going to commit to holding your hand and walking you through this, if you can find someone like that, it's so hard to do this alone. Sarah Esther, yeah, all, all I was, Sure. I was just going to say, I also think it's really key for the mother, for the other family members to likewise seek assistance therapy, connection, people to speak to, to, you know, have the strength to be dealing with this, to be greater supports. And I don't think there's, um, you know, that easy thing to just throw out there. There's nothing more challenging or devastating than not finding the right fix or the right modality. But it doesn't mean because it hasn't worked that there isn't something out there. It may, as Debbie said, require finding that right, that shut up, that right connection. And that's so challenging and difficult and exhausting. But um, somebody who truly understands is going to be a key part to just providing some comfort during this. Yeah. And Anna, I just want to speak to you directly and say someone that has experienced, I've experienced uh, anxiety, uh, battled with depression at times, even suicidal ideation. And I would say just just keep doing what you're doing right now in listening and reaching out and, and hopefully your, your son, um, can continue in that same, just keep connected, uh, with anybody that you can who's giving good input and talking it through, even if it doesn't feel like you're making progress, just stay, stay connected. Um, Okay, I would just t- time for one very last uh, quick question. We have a number that I come in. Uh, there's a, a listener who asks, uh, th- who says that he has been diagnosed with panic disorder uh, and is wondering if that's the same thing as an anxiety disorder. Is there a substantive difference? Uh, so panic disorder is a little different from generalized anxiety disorder where there are acute episodes of uh, extreme severe anxiety symptoms are often accompanied by physical symptoms. So someone may end up diagnosed with panic disorder because they ended up at the emergency room thinking they were having a heart attack. Mm, So shallow breathing, hyperventilating, chest pain, uh, these are typically associated with an acute episode of panic versus a generalized anxiety that shows up as worry or tension or being on edge. There's so many different forms of anxiety disorders. We, we could have talked for another hour uh, on this. Sarah Esther, Divi, thank you very much for being on the program and speaking so openly and authentically on this, on this topic. I want to just uh, close with a, with a quote. It's a, it's a, it's a Sigmund Freud quote <laughs> that the act of birth is the first experience of anxiety and thus the source and prototype of the effect of anxiety. And it, there is an important recognition here that we, this is part of everyone's journey. Um, you don't you don't necessarily have a disorder if you if you experience anxiety even a significant amount of anxiety, but it's important to talk it through and it's important to get help if you feel that you need it. Thank you to you both for being on the program. Thank you so much. Thank you. 